Hello, and welcome to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in cybersecurity about careers in this industry, specifically how to get into it and how to advance. My name is Gene Fay, the CEO of ThreadX, an API and application security company, and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we are joined by Diana Kelly, Chief Security Officer at Protect AI. Diana, how are you today? I'm doing really well, Gene. How are you? I'm doing well. Well, we won't give away exactly where we live because we are in cybersecurity, but Diana and I live in the world's best state, and we live on the coast in New Hampshire, but we won't give any more detail than that. But we were just (laughs) talking about that, and we probably could have spent an hour in prep just talking about the the place that we get to live, and it is a special place that most people don't even know New Hampshire has coastlines, so we'll keep it to ourselves. Exactly. I have had people tell me, like, but there's no coast in New Hampshire. I'm like, yeah, there is. (laughs) A little bit. It's a short one. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's a little beautiful piece of piece of heaven. So awesome. Yeah. Well, Diana, we're excited to jump in today. Um, and I know you started a new job, so you got a lot of uh, really exciting things going on in your life. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So great. Let's let's jump in. So let's talk a little bit about your path into cybersecurity. I know uh, we talked about you started actually as an English major, and uh, how does one go from an English major to uh, a chief security officer at, uh, at Protect AI. <laughs> well, interestingly, I actually started out, I fell in love with computers when I was first with programming when I was nine. Because oh, wow. my dad my dad brought home a programmable Texas Instruments calculator. Right. And I just was like, this is amazing. I could, you know, I didn't have this little metal strip, so I could program them and they would then run the what I had programmed. I was like, this is this is incredible. So my dad and I built computers, we built a heat kit together. And eventually my father, who was a research professor at MIT Lincoln Labs, got an account for me on the MIT PDP 10s and 11s at the time at Tech Square at MIT. And they were connected to the DARPANET. So it was like, so it's the, it's the late seventies and yeah. I, and nobody even knows what, what this, this stuff is. And I'm like, this is amazing. And, and people sort of don't realize that there was mail then there were group games, that, you know, yeah. dungeons and stuff you could play. We had instant messaging. So there was a lot going on even in the late seventies. And I just fell absolutely in love, taught myself how to code, just really loved it. But I also liked English. And so when I went to college, I looked at the classes and none of the classes in computer science really appealed to me. So I decided to major in English. But And when I graduated, I sort of foolishly tried to go into editorial thinking that, well, that's where an English major goes. But I was the computer guy at every job mm. that I had. And eventually I was doing acquisitions of software to go with the textbooks at the textbook company I was uh, working at. And the person who ran the network for our parent company in California said, saw me training the sales team on how to use the software for the the math textbooks. And she said, look, we're going to tie together all of our offices around the country so that we can bulk purchase paper. So again, we're we're installing (laughs) AS400s. We're going to start using JDX, all this stuff. Our company wasn't even networked at the time and our little division, our subsidiary. And they, we got networked, the other company that the parent owned, which was a foreign language company on the next floor, which is why I'm doing this. And everybody's like, why is she doing that? Because um, we were on two different floors sure. in the building in Boston. And so they said, you're going to be you know, the network person for both of those. And I think my official title was micro specialist. And I didn't know if it made sense for me to go into tech because at that point, it just wasn't the same 
career path that we have now. But you know, I've been the computer guy all along, the go-to guy. And when I went in officially to the role, I just never, ever looked back. And I just feel so lucky that I had that that chance. I think it's so nice that you followed a passion that wasn't necessarily, quote unquote, the logical thing to do. Like as an English major, you're supposed to go to the editorial staff and then suddenly you're getting thrown these tasks and you get excited about it. And that's yeah. really, really needed. And what was your first kind of, quote unquote, cyber job uh, as you as you, you know, forward, fast forward the journey? So interesting. So this is the late 80s when I'm now becoming like the the micro specialist. And then, you know, I became a global systems administrator at a startup and I tied together our nine offices. And in, in both of those roles, there was no security in my title, but I was the security person because there was Absolutely. nobody else. Right. So like, I remember that first job, I would get the virus updates on. There was, I think before a big virus came out, you know, I, I remember getting a FedEx <laughs> like from our, our virus provider and, and going around because not all the systems were networked yet. We were still in process of that going around with this little floppy disk, you know, putting yeah. it into all the machines to update them. And then when I was at Dataware, the startup, the thing that really pivoted me from being network administrator to security was that I loved networks, obviously loved building them and managing them. And we were uh, distributing some of our software and updates on FTP server and we got hacked. Because mm. I didn't understand. I knew how to set everything up. I didn't know how to think defensively all the time and how to create and how to build security. And so I realized that I needed to learn about that. You know, I was like, we're under attack. <laughs> it hadn't occurred to me that there were going to be so many bad people trying to right. hurt networks and business. So as soon as I, I realized that, I was like, never again, I'm going to focus on security. And a really interesting thing is I, I you know, asked some of my mentors and guides at the time, I said, I think I'm going to actually not just focus on networking, but I'm going to focus specifically on the security problem. Because if right. we don't get this right, none of this tech that we're building matters. It'll all get destroyed by the, the attackers and the criminals. And a few people told me, you have a very promising career right now. If you focus on security, you're probably going to put yourself in a niche. It's mm. going to get solved and, you know, people will be moving forward and network only. And you're going to have niched yourself into what's yeah. going to not be a career in a couple of years. And I said, you know, this is such a big problem that even if that's the case, if I can go and help that and it isn't a problem in a few years, that's a good thing. I trust it's going to work out. Mm. And not mm. being in security did not turn out to be a, a niche yeah, career for just a couple of years in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, it's really an interesting, uh, we're roughly the same age. And uh, I remember AS400s and floppy disks and, and, yeah. and early early days for me intact. But equally, I remember my first cybersecurity company, which was roughly 17 years ago. And at the time, there were like 300 vendors, and we all thought it was a really crowded space, but was it really a thing? And yeah, we were selling a lot of ultimately insurance, like people were getting breached, companies were getting breached, but they weren't telling anybody. So they weren't really investing in cyber. It surely wasn't a board level discussion. And man, you fast forward to just the RSA conference this year, which is felt like it was back to normal with 40,000 people. And I don't know, hundreds of vendors just at the show and thousands of vendors being, so it really is a thing. And I think I always say somebody's bad news is somebody's good news. Like the reason we're a massive industry is unfortunately because the the adversary continues to innovate and keeps us all employed, right? If the adversary goes away, suddenly goes, "Ah, we'll go invest in other parts of the business. But uh, it has been a fantastic career for both of us. And congratulations on all your success. 
next question really has to do with you know, cybersecurity. You know, much of tech is unfortunately uh, tends to be male dominated. Uh, though uh, this week on our podcast, we're recording three CISOs that are all female. Yay! As a father of Yay! three daughters, I love it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but you're a part of three fantastic organizations that are that are helping to support women in cyber. Can you share a little bit of uh, details about these organizations with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the opportunity to do that. And I, I'm a huge proponent and fan because I've seen it, its success over the year of networking, finding people that you can spend time with, learn from, help each other as you move forward with your careers. And I think that anybody who's early in the, the career or even if you're mid in the career, if you're feeling stuck or not supported, network. And that's what these these yes. communities are. So the, the two that I'm on the board of are um, Executive Women's Forum, which was founded 21 years ago by Joyce right. Caglia. Yes, yeah. 21 years. I know Joyce was absolutely a visionary in the space. I remember when she right. called me, she said, should we do a conference just for women? And I was like, I don't know, Joyce, <laughs> like, is that going to? Um, and she's like, I, we need to do this. And boy, was she right. She right. really, she saw the vision. And the Executive Women's Forum is, we do have a conference once a year. But it's an, an annual year-round community. There are regional events and cheer dinners, and there's a fantastic leadership program that is mm. led by the leadership officer at EWF, Linda Dolce to really help people get in touch with not just the technical, right? Because we need the technical, obviously, but we need to be great leaders. And great leadership is a transferable skill across many, mm -hmm. many disciplines. Sure. So Linda's programs really help to, one is called the, the Leader Within and Finding your leadership capabilities and understanding how to communicate with others. So EWF is one wonderful sisterhood and organization. There's also a mentor program in EWF. And then the other one that I'm on the board of is Women in Cybersecurity, or We Sis. Sometimes the executive director, Lynn Dome, will, will say, you know, We Sisters, because sometimes people <laughs> don't know how to say White Sis, With Sis. It's We Sis. And it was founded, oh gosh, now I'm going to get, I think, 10 years ago, I, I might be a little off on this, by Dr. Amberine Shiraj. And she wanted to have a nonprofit with the mission that was related to her academic work of understanding that we needed to help to recruit, retain, and advance women in mm. cybersecurity. So that is the mission of WESIS. Also has an annual conference, but it's it's very much the conference when you become like a, a corporate sponsor partner of WESIS. You get access to the WESIS job board. A lot of people, and they're at the conference, and we also throughout the year have virtual career fairs, and at the conference wow. we have an in-person career fair. So it's really great for that, helping to get Love into it. role, finding your next role. WESIS is really a wonderful organization for that. Again, a great nonprofit, and both of them are you know available you know, for people to, to look up. Uh, sometimes people ask me, which one should I join? I think, you know, my answer to that, I think both, because yeah. they're both great, right. <laughs> great, great Absolutely. organizations. Well, we'll make sure that the female members of our team uh, know about the organization. Hopefully they can join and participate. And, uh, you know, I just uh, recently uh, did a, a short podcast on, well, we started the podcast with this idea, you know, there's 3.4 million open positions. Like we've got to help yeah. more people join our in industry. And we posted an entry-level position. So we're 50 people as a company. And we got 5,000 applicants. And I'm like, so there's a disconnect with us as hiring, you know, as people hiring, like there are 5,000 people applying for a small company like us. So there's a disconnect. And I think organizations like the ones that you mentioned are exactly where people can go 
to get connected, to figure out how to to get into our industry. Yes. There's no shortage of people that want to get into our industry. Yes. They might lack connections. They might lack some entry-level skills, and we have to figure out ways to empower them. But I, I think it's fantastic, the organizations that you're a part of. I think they're absolutely super Gina, helpful. Of those 5,000, I mean, how many were actually sort of at least in the ballpark versus were most of them in the ballpark? Or did you have a good percentage that no. there was, they just weren't? At all. I don't know. So it's it's tough for me to say. It's at entry level, no experience necessary. So we had the aperture wide. Yeah, we had the aperture wide open. Yeah. Right. Uh, But, uh, and that's one of the advantages we have as a smaller company is we can do some training with people. But I I think that there's a a business model there to help. And I think it's a nonprofit and or it's a technology enabled solution to help entry level people with this 3.4 million people were trying to fill these roles, right? And congratulations to you and ThreatX for putting out an actual entry level role as opposed to some of these, they're entry level, but they want three to five years experience. Right, (laughs) exactly, right. You know, we call them purple squirrels, right? You know, we, (laughs) we, we, we lament about these, the number of open positions, but yet we create the, the problem in ourselves. So it's definitely one of those things. So I know you recently wrote an article about the critical role community plays in, in all careers. And I think it kind of leads into what we're just talking about, but especially in cyber, you know, we, we see that more and more. So why do you think that the community is such a critical part of uh, what, what we're all trying to accomplish? Well, there's so much to know and keep up with in cybersecurity now. I mean, way, way back when when I got started, I think when it was probably early for you, Gene, right? we, we sort of had to know it all. I'm not, oh, we were know-it-alls, but... <laughs> <laughs> like the, you could know it all. Less things to know, right? Exactly. There, Yeah, the, the space we needed to understand and learn was was much narrower. And now it's really getting very broad and very specialized. You see... You know, originally security was very focused on networking. So as long as you kind of do up to layer three, you were okay. Now it's very much in the zone of development. And as we're looking in sure. the future, ML and AI development and ML SecOps. So it's it, like, it's just expanding. And then also the impacts of what happens when security goes wrong. It, it was, they were minimal compared to where the impacts are now. Now we see, you know, ice in, you know, critical infrastructure. So having a community means that you've got a whole lot of experts that you can go to very quickly and say could you validate this for us could you help could you help explain it i had a, a great um, colleague at ibm peter allor and he knows every acronym in the in the, in the government that you can imagine <laughs> he's been working with government for years right. and years and there were times when it was like i knew if, if somebody gave me this acronym and i couldn't you know, I'm sure you can look it up but if you go to a trusted friend and they can explain to you what it means get you up to speed quickly that's one of the best things about having a community is having this this wonderful knowledge base around you. You're not going to know everything, but your community taken together could know mm. quite a bit. So help you to and to also identify, hey, there's a thing you should look at that's coming up. The other thing I love about community is that cybersecurity is tough. This is a really hard industry that we're in emotionally in the sense that we often work long hours. We don't always, we're not a profit center. So it's, it's, you know, there's always the resource crush of, do we have enough people? Do we have enough budget to be able to accomplish what we need to do? The business may get, you know, angry at us if we're saying, well, you can't do that. Don't adopt that yet. It's not secure. It's not ready. Wait to deploy that app until we get the, the critical vulnerabilities out of it, you know, this kind of thing. So it can get really exhausting. 
it's never perfect. There's no impenetrable system. So the community really helps, I think, with people being able to help each other, you know, feed mm -hmm. each other, support each other. If you don't have that community, it can get very lonely and very exhausting. So make sure you have that community around to support you. And then the other big thing about community is for career progression. You know, we just watched a whole lot of layoffs go on in the tech industry. A lot of them mm -hmm. impacted the security community. Mm -hmm. You and I, we were doing this for uh, when the crash happened in the 90s. <laughs> So mm -hmm. we saw that and how, right. and you know, people's just careers get sidetracked and decimated. And again, if you're going out and if you're putting your resume in with 5,000 other resumes, then you may be less likely to get a job than if you have a friend who knows well, you, trusts uh, you, and trust can right. be in some ways transitive, knows the hiring manager and create that bridge for you. So that's the other big thing about communities. It really can make massive difference in your the success of your career overall. Yeah, I think that I think that's great guidance, Diane. I I look at it at that level helping people you know, differentiate themselves at the entry level to uh, helping to make connections. I I just connected two CISOs in the travel industry that. They're competitors, but as we know, when it comes to cyber, we've got to join hands and forget about the competitiveness of these companies because chances are they have the same type of attacks over and over again. So I really you know, enjoy uh, getting to introduce people at all levels. And I think it's all our jobs uh, to give to the community. And if you give to the community, you'll always be able to take from the community or, the, or I should say the community will give back is probably a better way to, to think about it, right? It, we suddenly find ourselves unemployed and you've given a lot to the community. There'll be hundreds of people looking to help you uh, when, when the times uh, get tough. That's it. Yeah. So last question. Um, if you're hiring an entry-level role for your team, what would you be looking for? So the first thing I look for is, is people who want to learn. You have to be really excited to learn and know how to learn because, to, you know, I, I don't like the, oh, everything changes overnight. I mean, there's some static, thing, not static, but, you know, there are some really core technical basics foundations that if you know them, if you understand TCP IP, it's still TCP IP. It's been that way for decades. So I'm not saying that everything changes all the time, but we do have a lot of, you know, the technology does change architecture changes. So being able to get that really strong foundation, but always be learning, knowing that you're not done. You're not done in, in, in technology and cyber ever. So if they love learning, that really matters um, a lot. And then very specifically around learning about problem solving, being able to take things apart, understand how they work. Think about what we have to do in security. We have to understand where can this be attacked? Well, how do I understand that? By understanding how it works, what the pieces are, what the flow is, where the, the weaknesses may be. So that piece of just, you know, wanting to problem solve to address the problem. Next one is communication. We tend to really focus on the very technical and, and we a lot of us can feel like, oh, I'm not technical enough because we can't know everything. But communication is absolutely critical, whether you're trying to get the development team to adopt more security practices within their software development lifecycle, or you're trying to get the CEO to understand why you want to get a new set of, of uh, tools to be able to protect the company or the, why there's a vulnerability or even why you need to address a gap before an audit so that you don't come out with a material deficiency. All this takes communication and engagement. And if you don't communicate well, you may still be able to succeed in this field. In fact, you definitely can succeed. It's just you would be in a, in a job that doesn't need the communication skills as much. Yeah. But a lot of our jobs really do need to have strong communication. 
And then the last one kind of touches on a little bit of why I was talking about community, which is that I think we need to be very resilient people who are okay with failure, with never having things done. I have had people say to me, you know, if, if you guys are so good, why do people keep getting hacked? And <laughs> are you basically just ripping people off? When I worked at Symantec, which was uh, antivirus at the time, I had people accuse Symantec of sending, you know, they're like, what you guys are doing, you're creating these viruses so that you'll create a market for yourself, you know, and then you're creating a problem just to solve it. It's like, mm -mm. no, these are really hard problems. It's very complex right now. We depend on on many moving parts. And there are a lot of attackers and criminals out there right. who want to go after our system. So there's no such thing as perfect. You have to be the kind right. of person that can accept that and understand that and still say, this is important work. And I am excited by the every day I get up with the passion to want to defend and protect systems and data and keep companies safe. No, understanding that there's no perfect. I mean, yeah. we can always strive to be better, but understanding that there's no perfect. Because yeah. I have seen some people leave the industry because they just get, they're like, we'll never fix the problem. Well, I think I remind people that it's uh, you, we're, we're up against an adversary. Unlimited time, nearly unlimited budget, only have to be right once in a while. We as cyber defenders have to be perfect. And that's, yeah. that's an impossible, the odds of perfection are, are, are zero. So what right. we have to do is, you know, put forth best efforts and at your point, communication across the organization so that everybody understands that perfection isn't the goal. It's risk mitigation. And I think that you said it perfectly in terms of the people that do really well here are the people that like the dynamic nature of the environment and accept that you can't get an A plus every day. Someday so we're going to get a C minus, but that doesn't mean it wasn't for lack of effort. It's just the dynamic changes on a continuous basis. Yeah, it's sometimes I think about it sort of like cancer researchers. And you could say to a can you know, somebody who spent their life in cancer research, say, why did you cure cancer? But really they we keep getting better and understanding yes. more about how it works. And, and that's the it's the same in, in security, just you know, striving to be better and to, huh. to protect systems and people more effectively. Awesome. Great. Well, a fantastic interview, Diane. I knew, I knew you'd be a great guest. So thank you very much for joining us. You're super busy just taking on your new roles. So thank you for carving out some time out of your day and hope to see you along the coast at some point in New Hampshire. Thank you so much, Gene. Great. As a reminder to our listeners looking to up their cybersecurity skills, you can get one year free of content from our cybersecurity training portal, ThreatX Academy using promo code podcast. ThreatX Academy covers a wide variety of cybersecurity topics. You can learn more at academy.threadx.com. Also check out our recent episode with my colleague, Neil Wetzel, our SOC manager, where he discusses what cybersecurity hire managers are looking for. Uh, it's been one of our most so far. That is until we get Diana's out there. And uh, lastly, if you want to learn more about API and application security, please visit our website at threadx.com. Diana, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.